I wish sometimes I could get up and detail every little thing I've seen throughout the week, you know. I need to find more ways of communicating that. Just very briefly, one thing. Uh, the garden has become this amazing space of just connecting with neighbors in very meaningful ways. And it almost seems like God orchestrates the people that I bump into in particular in answer to some prayer. We've been praying for about the condos next door. I'm sure that you saw us been praying for years for the folks who live next door in the condos. And how do you connect when people's doors are shut and they come home from work, get in their garage and go into their living room or their kitchen, whatever, and then leave again the next day? And the garden has become this beautiful place to do that because people just show up and they start to realize this is a place for rest, for beauty, and uh, to be there. So the other night, Ron had decided because this heat wave was coming that she would water the garden. So I, had, I walked my dog Sunny around the uh, parking lot while she was watering all the plants. And there was a couple and a little kid in the garden and they were just about to leave and I thought, should I like, it seemed awkward because they were almost at the street and I was like, no, I'm gonna say, hey. I was like, hey you guys, how you doing? So I got talking till it got dark actually. Um, the wife was wanting to get away, but the guy was really into chatting with me. And turns out he's uh, been living there for 20 years, and he's on the board of the condominiums, uh, you know, organization. <clears throat> and a fantastic conversation with him. He said, I'm not a religious person. I said, I'm not a religious person either. Um, <laughs> but talked about community and about the, the, our desire to, to help this community to flourish and, and to get to know our neighbors. And as he left, you know, it was just kind of a God, God conversation. Um, <laughs> But he, uh, he said, hey, Grant, you know, do you have a card? So I got the card. We're going to get to the coffee sometime. And he said, thanks for restoring my uh, kind of confidence or belief in, in human beings. We talked a lot about the brokenness of this world, but, you know, a lot about hope as well. So I tell you, that, that beautiful garden is becoming such a space to do exactly what we feel God's calling us to do. So thank you for everyone who's been involved. Big crew came out on Saturday to, to harvest and to, and to plant and to care for it. So it's really quite beautiful. That garden is a metaphor in so many ways spiritually uh, as things are growing in the ground, you know, and they're growing in our community. So let's, uh, let's go to Mark 14 if you've got a Bible or if you want to see on the screen. We're also going to take communion today. So if you're listening to this online uh, at any time today or uh, this week, uh, you can have some communion things ready and take it with us. Um, Mark 14, 27 to 31 is where we are at. And really, you know, the theme of my week this week, as I was thinking about this message, and usually this happens that I kind of fight the heart of the message all the way through sometimes till Saturday because I'm trying to keep a distance from the Word of God and, and create something to give to you all without letting it go in my heart, right? Kind of happened again this week, and I realized I'm just exhausted, exhausted this week, and this is a lot to say about exhaustion. We are all so busy these days, aren't we? There are a million and things to do and deal with, and we're constantly being bombarded with more, with advertisements and offers and promises and demands, and there's always one more thing to do. And then you get, if you've got some success in something, it always brings more responsibilities, and there's always, though, the threat of failure lurking in the background, somewhere ahead. Life is unpredictable. It's exhausting. So many external forces just bearing down on us every day, and social media and phones, and people can reach you any moment of any day, and it just never seems to end. There's always one more task to do, don't you think? What's happening back there? Oh. You know, and I think within this dynamic, like there's reasons for this. And I was thinking, what might be some reasons for, for us to be so frantic? 
we're very industrious, we're always busy, and there seems to always be more coming down the pipeline. And I think it's a few things. It might be that we have a desire to kind of accumulate some wealth, material wealth, or perhaps maintain a secure position for now and into the future. You know that sense, I want to be secure. It requires a lot of work. And maybe it's kind of overwhelming worry about the people that you love that's keeping you kind of frantic spinning plates. Or perhaps it's a need to be needed by other people or a, a deep need to please other people. People pleasers in the room, raise your right, left, right hand, if you please. Please me by raising your right hand. Um, or, or to be seen in the best possible light by people, for people to see you favorably can cause us to be this constant act, activity. And, and perhaps sometimes also, uh, because we are dealing with some deep trauma uh, and we can't really bear to address it, we just keep really, really busy and stuff it down. Well, being that this is a Sunday morning gathering, and it's typical that we're going to talk about Jesus, God, for many of us here this morning, I think one of these dynamics that is, is in the mix is that it has a lot to do with our faith. faith our faith is, is a motivation and a dynamic that can actually cause us to get into this kind of activity and this relentless, hectic, exhausting living. Uh, you know, what we believe that God expects from us if we're going to be good Christian people. And I think that motivation leading to this chaos can lead us to miss actually the quality of life that Jesus calls us into. And unlike the famous plate spinner whose name was Eric Bren, have you ever, ever seen that guy before? Yeah, Barbara. You're friends, right? What's that? It was an Ed Sullivan. Good job. You know, unlike him, we can often find ourselves tangled up in a heap of tables and sticks and plates on the floor, angry, anxious, guilty, filled with all kinds of feelings of shame and failure, exhausted. And I think when this happens, when it's connected with our faith in God, then what can happen is we start to relate to God, not as he actually is, but as our frail, weak, broken, exhausted human life can cause us to start to believe that he is, some distortion of who God is. God can become a demanding boss who's never, we can never seem to please him. And with every day, there's like an annual review on a daily basis at the end of the day, and we kind of dread what that's going to look like. He can become an ambitious coach who expects you to have made far more progress this season than you have he can become a disappointed parent who expected far more from this kid. Or he become an absentee landlord who never seems to fix the broken stuff that is supposed to be his responsibility. And I think me, this week, me, as I held this text off from my life, Saturday actually, I was like, literally all got on my knees and said, I'm doing it again. I, this is for me before it could ever be for anybody else. And I realized that I've been spinning a lot of plates this week, and many of the plates that I've been spinning have come from motivations that I mentioned earlier. For example, you know, finances and security and things about the church budgets. And, you know, if I just do one more thing or call one more person, you know, it's going to change things or whatever, right? Or what am I missing? What is I supposed to be doing to make this thing just like super, you know, full on? And, or, or, you know, people that I love, like my family in Scotland, I'm just kind of burdened and I'm like, I've just got to call them again. I've got to try and FaceTime again, and, and that'll make the difference. Uh, People-pleasing. I am a... Pe I both hands. Both hands. I'm a people-pleaser. Pastors are people-pleasers. It's always a danger, right? And, and we, like, we want to be liked. 
You know, we want to be seen positively. Even coming up, preparing for a sermon, there's a bit of you as you prepare going, you know, I hope that, that, that you know, I, I want it to be meaningful. It's all about God, right? But I'm a human being. I have an ego. And I want to be seen, especially in a world where, where all the, you know, glitz of things you see, there's always something to compare yourself to, right? There's always a better communicator, a better pastor, or just keeping really busy so I don't have to deal with trauma, and I'm really, really good at stuffing it down. But I can see that besides these motivations, I too, in the center of my core, of my being, I think a lot of my business comes from this misplaced understanding about what God expects from me, and I often find that he is becoming my boss, or my coach, or my unhappy, dissatisfied parent, or my absentee landlord. And we're in Mark's gospel, and, and as I was thinking about this, I was remembering the very first words of Mark's writing, that it starts like this. He says in Mark 1, verse 1, the beginning of the good news about Jesus the Messiah, the Son of God. Did we catch that? The beginning of the good news about Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God. That's why we've called this sermon series, This is Jesus. This is Jesus, and it's good news. That's what the word gospel means, literally, good news. And so Mark goes on in 16 chapters to show the beginning of the good news, but today we are still continuing it in the reality of this good news, and it is here now for each and every one of us. The good news next is I'm going to ask someone if they'll read our text today. That's good news. I'm not going to choose someone, so I need a volunteer who would like to read today's... Oh, look at that. Wait, the back. you had to meet. Did Ronna say I needed exercise? <laughs> Maddie. It's all be on the screen. Maddie, and what, what will you be doing this week, by the way, the past few nights? I was in a musical. What was the musical called? Little Women. And how did it go? Fantastic. Awesome. My daughter went last night. It says brilliant. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Grateful for Maddie. All right. You will all fall away, Jesus told them. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. But after I have risen, I will go ahead of you into Galilee. Peter declared, even if all fall away, I will not. Truly, I tell you, Jesus answered. Today, yes, tonight, before the rooster crows twice, you yourself will disown me three times. But Peter insisted emphatically, even if I have to die with you, I will never disown you. And all the others said the same. Mark 14, 27 through 31. Thank you, Maddie. You can keep that microphone. You just make comments every now and then. <laughs> you know, the rebuttal will now be from Maddie Nix. <laughs> so, you know, the disciples here, we, we said that Last week, they're entering into what's known as like the passion of Jesus. It's this week. It's what's coming this week for us all. And, and, and these disciples, these friends of Jesus are entering into uh, one of the darkest times in their journey. Not just in their journey with Jesus, but in their entire lives. What could possibly be good news about this chapter? There is good news here. And it may not be obvious at first, but the first thing that is good news here is that Jesus knows us perfectly. Jesus knows us Perfectly, everything, every bit, Amen. forever, at all times. And it tells us this in, in what he says about the disciples. 
Jesus and Mark is very forthright. He just, he just says what it, what's going on. And, and the disciples in general, but Peter in particular, is kind of the centerpiece of this conversation. Very first thing he says, you will all fall away. You will all fall away. It's a horrible thing when someone says something so clear and final and dramatic um, to you. And, and what it really means, another translation says, you will all falter in your faithfulness to me. I love the way that's expressed. You will all, all of you will falter. And of course, Peter is having none of it. None of it. He's, he's typical Peter, you know, the time when Jesus wanted to wash their feet. And he's like, nope, not washing my feet. You're, you're, you're amazing. You're the Messiah. Um, Peter, we know him, don't we? The way he is. Just like Peter here, right? Very similar, my good friend Peter. There's a few Peters in here today. Don't take this personally, okay? But do take it personally. But uh, so but what happens? So uh, he says, you will all fall away. And then he says this bit about rising in Galilee. But then Peter just declares, even if all fall away, I will not. And the spotlight turns on Peter. Oops. Um, so what is, how does Jesus respond? It's interesting because he has, says this general thing. You will all fall away. You will all falter in your faithfulness to me. And Peter steps in and says, no, maybe the rest will, but I will not. And Jesus answers, truly I tell you, today, yes, tonight before the rooster crows, twice you, will dis- you, you yourself will disown me three times. And Peter emphatically insists, even if I have to die with you, I will never disown you. And all the others said the same. But Peter is the one that we're focusing on. And it's really interesting because Christ knows everything about us. He knows us perfectly. And you think that that should be kind of a scary thing because when it goes from a general sense of like, you will have some unfaithfulness, but then, okay, if you want more, Peter, let's go into detail. Literally, tonight, before the cock crows twice, you will deny me, not once, not twice, but three times. So Peter says this thing, and, and, and Jesus goes deeper into explaining his knowledge that Peter will, will be unfaithful. He will deny him. He will fall. Uh, St. Augustine wrote this. He said, God knows in us even what we ourselves do not know in ourselves. For Peter did not know his weakness when he heard from the Lord that he would deny him three times. Jesus knows us perfectly more than we know ourselves. He sees every single choice, act, thought, deed. My sin, your sin, every layer, every detail. That should be terrifying. That shouldn't be good news, should it? Even that, that of which I am unaware, Jesus sees totally into it, every piece of it. But here's the thing, the good news is that Jesus chooses not to let it count against us at all, in any way, ever again. If we think about columns, any bookkeepers or accountants here? Debit, credit, right? We often think about spiritual you know, relationship with God in terms of debits and credits, right? I mean, a lot of people go through life, you know, you know, when you, when you mess up, how long do you pray, spend praying or reading your Bible the next day, right? We think that it's going to kind of somehow outweigh, the good will outweigh the bad. But here's what it looks like. The debit column is, could be, if necessary, as detailed 
more than anything you could ever imagine about our sin, our alienation from God and others, and how we live. But the credit column is just overwhelmed with the sacrifice, a loving gift of his Christ's own life that just obliterates the entire spreadsheet. It is gone. He doesn't hold it against us. So we don't need to boast about how strong we are, how holy we are, and all that we are going to do for God. We can just admit it when Jesus says, you're going to falter in your faithfulness to me. Yes, I probably will, but thank you that it's not held against me because you have forgiven me. The second piece of good news is this. This is very good news, especially if you know yourself to any degree, is that our weakness cannot hinder the unstoppable work of God. Yeah, or our failings cannot derail God's work. I was unsure about which one to use, (laughs) but they both work, right? So, I mean, Ronnie can tell you, you know, I may appear perfect, almost almost saint-like, on a day-to-day basis, you know, I, I am, I'm a human being prone to anxiety and anger and judgment, all that stuff, all that stuff. And praise God, none of that will hinder the work of God or derail the work of God in this, his creation, part of which I am. You know, right in the center of this chaotic story of fear and anxiety and sadness and grief is a hopeful word, and it's in verse 28. Jesus says these things clearly. You will all fall away, but then he also says just as clearly that after I have risen, I will go ahead of you into Galilee. And it seems interesting, this has happened before, because he said like four other times in the Gospel of Mark that he's going to be arrested, he's going to be tried, he's going to be executed, and he's going to rise again. And every time he says that, the disciples come undone, and they don't seem to be able to hear the good bit. And Peter is exactly like that. He doesn't respond at all to this message here. I think we're like that too. You know, when we're in a place of grief or sorrow, we find it very hard to hear, to understand, to grasp onto the good news. Such is the all-encompassing nature of our exhaustion, our grief, our sorrow, our fear when it happens to strike us in our lives. And Peter is just like that. He doesn't seem to even hear this good news that tells him, could tell him that despite your weakness, this will continue, and I will go ahead of you, Peter, in Galilee, beyond what is coming. You know, I think we're often like this too. You know, we are like that when, when we get to a place of exhaustion, sorrow, grief, whatever it is, we feel broken. It's very hard sometimes to hear the good news. You know, I've got friends and family, some of them are in this place right now, And and sometimes that's what causes it when someone's struggling and they're sorrowing and we just give them some little, you know, little bit of good news that's meant to be helpful, it actually sometimes can be harmful because they're in a place where they can't really hear it. 
You know, so this is uh, really what it's coming down to in some ways is, you know, that we are, we are us, and God is God, and there is a big difference between the two. Um, in Mark chapter 14, this section, there's lots of declarations. There's this, if you notice, if you read scripture, and we do a little Bible study at Charter Oak, and we always, the first thing we, we basically say is, what do you see here? What questions do you have? Do you see any patterns and things that they repeat? Because that's probably important to notice. And so I was looking at this text, I realized there was a whole bunch of them, and it's these kind of declarations. You will all fall away. I will go ahead of you. Peter says, I will not. Jesus says, truly I tell you, you yourself will. And then he says, I will never disown you. And I think this is something to think about. I will versus Jesus will. Peter will indeed deny three times that he knows Jesus, despite his, the strength of his conviction at that point that he will not do that. He does do that. But yet Jesus says things that he will do, and we know that they take place, that they happen. My I will is always conditional. Jesus' I will is eternally unconditional. My I will is subject to all kinds of outside influences. Jesus' I will is perfectly independent. My I will is full of mixed motives, some of which I'm not even aware of when I say I will. Jesus' I will is pure and holy and derived from perfect and unconditional love. My I will can quickly become I won't or I can't or I might. Jesus' I will stands without wavering. Palm Sunday today, you thought we weren't going to mention it. We're being an edgy new kind of church where we don't mention anything that other churches do. <laughs> we didn't want to damage the beautiful plant life around here by cutting palms off. But you know, Palm Sunday has almost like amazed me because it's sort of like, well, we do this kind of a triumphant thing, perhaps forgetting that kind of the point of Palm Sunday and that whole procession of joyous people shouting that the king had come is actually contains, at least in Matthew, I think it is, or John, I think it's perhaps, um, Jesus weeping over the city, saying, if only you knew what is coming, and received and said, you know, blessed is the name of the ones who come to the Lord, that you know, but you've failed to do so. So we can't do this triumphant thing. It's exactly this. It's like, I will, we will, he's here. And within a few short days, they're screaming, crucify him, crucify him. This is the day of this, this kind of concept, right? Because Jesus just continues through. He is not swayed by the shouts of the crowd to divert from his path or his plan. And their weakness does not prevent the salvation coming to them. And that's uh, the same the Exodus. When Moses came down that mountain with these big uh, you know, tablets of the law, right? And, and he said, I come from being with God and here's all that he commands you. And it says every single person said, all these we will keep. We will keep them all. I will. And then I will. So that's why we say our Father in heaven, holy is your name, your kingdom come, your will be done. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And give us our daily bread. You will all fall away, Jesus wrote. And he quotes something, you know. This is the next uh, part of the good news. 
is that this is the way it always was and it always shall be. This is the reality of who God is in relationship to his creation. That he knows us perfectly, that our weakness and failure cannot derail his plans or his will. So Jesus quotes scripture at this point. And this is the bit that I'm sure just went right over the disciples' heads in many ways because he quotes from Zechariah when he says, you will all fall away, Jesus told them, for it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. There's another I will in there. In the original passage in Zechariah, it doesn't say, I will strike the shepherd. It simply says, strike the shepherd. And it's kind of a picture of, of, of a shepherd of the people and this kind of cataclysmic thing happening to him which scatters the, the people. But then it kind of leads to something more positive at the end of the passage. But here it says, I will. And it's referring to God. This is, this is the, the thing that's happening in the midst of all of the weakness that Judas is about to betray Jesus and the disciples are going to abandon him. There is this sovereign plan that God is bringing to fruition through it all. I will strike the shepherd. Jesus is the shepherd being referred to. And that's the thing. Jesus' path was very lonely this time. It, it was almost impossible for them not to fall away because he had a singular role in this that was going to have to lead to him being alone. So we would never be alone. It would have to lead to him being abandoned in some way by God so that we ourselves would never have to be abandoned by God. This is what's been happening throughout the entirety of Mark. Jesus is walking unflinchingly towards this destination, towards this cross. We are not Jesus, nor can we carry out the work that he does. We can't heal all the people. We can't save all the people, not even ourselves. You know, we're talking about the temple system and the religious leaders and then Rome. And all of these systems were built on human pride and power. And they truly believed, they said these things, that they would save us. That they would create this better world. And, and Jesus is showing the, the insufficiency of all of these things to actually redeem a human heart. To bring new life, to bring the kingdom and now he's kind of saying the same about the disciples, that they too are not capable of doing this. All of these people, including this, the disciples, were thinking they were going to do something. They were strong. And Jesus is, is showing them that he is the Savior. They are not the Saviors. So Jesus doesn't need a Savior. Jesus doesn't need a heroic defender. He doesn't need an exemplary employee. He doesn't need a star quarterback. He doesn't need the perfect child. He doesn't need the perfect tenant. We sung it this morning. What did we say? I am a friend of God. He calls me friend. The fourth and sixth to last thing. Yes, yeah, and seventh to last thing. Is, is this, it's good news again, good news. We do have a role to play, but it's a lot less complicated than we might think. You know, I was thinking about how might Peter and his friends have reacted differently when Jesus said, you will all fall away. Imagine they said, wow, tell us what to do, Jesus, right? That's a much better kind of response to say, okay, 
you're the one who knows what you're talking about. We're all going to fall away. I mean, you're not going to do that, but if they had said that. Uh, but instead of doing that, they, they felt this sense of like the pressure to perform led to them to make promises that they could not keep. But Jesus doesn't leave them without direction. They may not ask for it, but in the next passage, which we're going to hear read on Thursday evening when we gather here, when all of us gather here for the first in our Easter week celebration, at the end of, of the service, I'm going to tell you more about it to whet your appetite. Um, but there's a text from there. This is what it says, because right after this, it says, they went to a place called Gethsemane. And Jesus said to his disciples, what did he say? Sit here while I pray. <sighs> Sit here. He took Peter and James and John along with him and he began to be deeply distre distressed and troubled. My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death, he said. <sighs> Stay here and keep watch. Going a little further, he fell to the ground and prayed that if possible, the iron might pass from him. Abba, Father, he said, everything is possible for you. Take this cup from me. Yeah, not what I will, but what you will. And then he returns to his disciples and find them sleeping. Simon, he said to Peter, are you asleep? Couldn't you keep watch for one hour? Watch and pray so you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. We can, we can get some clues from this. Jesus is doing his work. So the Holy Spirit is doing his work in this world. And he's not looking for heroes, star quarterbacks, perfect children. He's looking for those who will sit with him, who will pray, who will watch, and who will understand the truth that the Spirit is willing and the flesh is weak. Therefore, they will engage in developing their spirit, their closeness to Jesus. They will be by him to pay attention to our lives. Finally, I just think there's a really cool little nugget in this text that I've been pondering, and it's in verse 28 where he says, after I have risen, I will go ahead of you into Galilee. And I was thinking about that, Galilee, okay, so I got a map, and I was like, where's Galilee? Where does that fit for the story? And I realized Galilee is where the story starts. This is where it starts through all of the things that they have gone through and will go through beyond the death and the tears and the fear and the darkness of Saturday, which we're gonna kind of do here in an open time on, on Saturday here. Um, beyond the resurrection, beyond all these uh, things, he will, he will meet them, he will go beyond them and see them in, in Galilee. This is how it starts in Mark. Jesus went into Galilee. This is almost the very beginning of Mark. Proclaiming the good news of God. The time has come, he said. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. As Jesus walked beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon, Peter, and his brother Andrew casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. At once they left their nets and followed him. Now here we are, three years later, back at the start, but forever changed. You know, I think transformation is what's happening even when you feel you're failing, if you will simply sit and, and abide with him and rest and watch and pray, and suddenly you find yourself around this place, you were unaware that you've got to a place of growth and you're different from when you started. And it reminded me of the, the pandemic time. One of the first message series that we did was about, remember, uh, orientation and disorientation and new orientation. And I think that's really 
kind of uh, a way of thinking about this, that we, we get to a settled place, whether it was tending their nets or whether it was thinking that Jesus was going to set up an earthly kingdom and save all the people from the Romans. And then, whoop, things come in that, that disorient us. But if we will hold on, realizing that every trouble that we encounter is encountered in the presence of the God who knows us perfectly, who loves us completely, and whose plans cannot be hindered by human weakness. And we can get to a new orientation, a place that we could never have got to had it not even been for the, the journey that we had to take. <sighs> Last thing I want to say is, is something I was reminded of by a, okay, you know, I've got to watch my phone, you know, I'm on Instagram too much again, I'm about to delete my Instagram app. But they have these little ads, the things that come up and it's just like clickbait, man. It's like video after video and, and some of them are funny, right? And some of you know I've been forwarding you too many things that made me laugh and I'm like, okay, Grant, stop doing that. You look like such a, an, an addict. But there was one just talking about uh, being a human being, uh, not being a human doing, okay? They say, you know, be a human being, not a human doing. You know, care about the essential person that you are. But, but this, this, it reminded me of this guy, Nigel, who, when he was talking about this, once said, he's got a very English accent because he was trained at the Royal College of Drama in London. But he's a fantastic guy. Uh, he said, everybody, you know, we are not human doings. Um, we are maybe human beings, but even more so, we are human becomings. Human becomings. And that, that's really where we are right now. There is this point in the journey the good news is Jesus is not surprised by their weakness or faithlessness, and it does not prevent his plans from being fulfilled, and he is going to accomplish it, and he will for us in our lives too, whatever we are facing right now, all the onslaught of things, the plates are spinning. Sometimes some of those plates just need to fall to the ground and let them go. We're going to take communion now as a way of responding to what we've heard, felt today. Um, and I was thinking about plates for some reason. I'm gonna steal, I need a communion thing. Has someone got, can you throw one at me? Thanks, Lanny. I was thinking about plates. I think, wouldn't it be great if rather than striving to keep the plates spinning on all their sticks, all of us are doing that, if we just like took the plates off of the sticks, put them on the table, put some hearty food on the plates and enjoyed a meal together. Isn't that better? And do some, do some slow fellowship and deep relationship building over yummy food. Wouldn't that be good? Thursday, we're going to do that because you're all going to come to Monday Thursday. We're actually going to have a whole setup because the reminder is that this wonderful thing that applies to every part of any message we can ever give, and it's always our response is to do this and do it together, uh, because it was the context of a meal. As Josh just uh, explained last week, it was the Passover meal, and it was friends gathered together for a time of fellowship around food. And then Jesus, once again, you know, they think, I will eat this bread. Jesus said, this is my body, which is for you. Uh, take this and eat. Let's take the bread together.
and he took a cup. said, this is the blood of the new covenant for the forgiveness of sins. He said, drink from it, all of you, knowing every detail of the imperfection, the brokenness, the shame. And he was heading to the cross where he would pour out his blood that would bring forgiveness to us all. The blood of Christ. Thank you, Lord, for your faithful pursuit of redemption on our behalf. You have done it. We have received it. Thank you that we are human becomings, unaware so often of the growth that is happening in the deep parts of our hearts, our spirits. Open our eyes, Lord, to see you. Help us to sit, to watch, to wait, to pray, to trust. Lord, I pray against shame, guilt, unnecessary, frantic busyness for things that don't really matter. And especially when we find ourselves being frantically busy for you, when perhaps you just ask us to sit at your feet and listen and rest. Thank you, Lord. We love you. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen.